Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz star in Pedro Moldovar's Pain and Glory. Satanists are getting seditious in Penny Lane's documentary Hail Satan. I was very much a devout Christian growing up. You could almost say a zealot. And in Film Club, it's Pedro Almodovalode. We're looking back at his 1999 Oscar winner, All About My Mother. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here in the host seat, sitting across this week from esteemed guests Beth Webb. Hiya. And Campbell A. Campbell. Buenos dias. Ah, very, yeah, very fitting Ooh, for today. Uh, putting hello. us to shame here. I have no Spanish at all. That's uh, my secondary school education finally coming in handy. <laughs> <laughs> How are we feeling today? All good? Yeah, great week for movies. Varied and rich and. What Exciting. Do, what's happening in movies this week? We've got this new James Bond film title, haven't we? What is it? Yeah, with the snoriest title I think I've ever heard. No Time to Die. I mean, it kind of fits in with James Bond tradition in that it's a kind of stuffy title with the word kill or die in yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not very inspiring, I don't think. But then, It's no Shatterhand. What's your, <laughs> oh my God, I forgot that was good. What's your favourite Bond title? A View to a Kill, because it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think No Time to Die makes any sense, to be honest. We've all got time. Not if you're a millennial. No. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's sadly true. <laughs> Do you have a favourite one, Beth? Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Hands I down. like the ones that are just, they're not trying to make a phrase out of a pun or some sort of slogan, just a name. Moonraker. Although not Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about some new films? Can, Moving we, on. Please, can we please do that? <laughs> so we have Double Dose of Pedro coming up uh, this week as well as Hail Satan, the documentary. We're going to start with Pedro Moldovar's Pain and Glory. Dwayne Johnson and Mark Wahlberg are Miami bodybuilders in this crime action comedy from Michael Bay. No, that's Pain and Gain. Sorry. Pain and Glory is a new film from Pedro Almodovar, and it's something of a self-reflexive, retrospective film. Antonio Banderas stars as a filmmaker approaching late middle age who is reflecting on his past work, collaborators and loved ones. So we don't have a clip for this. Uh, Beth, this one was very hotly tipped. It played at Cannes. It's already been released in Spain. Antonio Banderas is courting some Oscar buzz, his first major role in years. 
Were you excited for this one? I really was. Although now that you've you've given me that synopsis, I would like to see Dwayne Johnson play Pedro Almodova in a remake. But sadly, yeah, well, not sadly, we've got Antonio Banderas playing Salvador Malo in the film, which is is quite obviously Pedro Almodova or Amaldo Bay, as we like to call him. Mm-hmm. We're big fans of him uh, in this room, and he was just born to play this role. Like he's collaborated with Amaldo Bay eight times now, I think, to so six. Several, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so um, eighty two, I think. Yeah, the first film Banderas was in with him was was eighty two. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, dating way that? back. And then for most of the nineties, they didn't work together. They got back together for the skin I live in. He has a cameo in. I'm so excited. Ah. That's Penelope Cruz. It's the one people forget about because they're playing luggage handlers at the beginning of the film. <laughs> the end of the film. I never saw I'm so excited. I just remember seeing a lot of trailers for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was the one I was most exposed to, but then never saw. I think yeah. the first one I saw was The Skin I Live In. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is interesting that he's back in a leading role in a Pedro film, pretty much playing Pedro. I'm pretty sure he's wearing some of Pedro's clothes. He, he is wearing his clothes. And the set of his <laughs> and the set of his apartment is they basically got the set designer to build Almodovar's apartment. Like. Which is glorious. And I think something we definitely want to talk about in terms of the production design and the cinematography, which is just gorgeous. It's such a plush and beautiful looking film. I feel like at this stage, he's just so assured in, in his aesthetic and the way that he frames drama and comedy in this sort of primary pop mm-hmm. palettes that he tends to favour. I would like to get onto the shirts, so Campbell and I were watching this together and I remember leaning over to him and saying, I think you could pull off all of those shirts, to be honest. Oh, think like um, think like early seasons of Friends, Chandler Bing, kind of bowling <laughs> shirts. Chandler Bing. But, <laughs> but like with a real glow up there, I think. just they, They're really some spiffy shirts. So it's this, this really, really gorgeous looking film and as I say we've got uh, Antonio Banderas he's got the, the starched stiff vertical mm-hmm. hair of Pedro Almodovar um, and it's just this really gorgeously troubled young man that we sort of chart through his fame he suffers from depression he has an addiction to heroin that he's introduced to but it's always framed and as I say this is this is very much of Almodovar's kind of tastes he's always very empathetic mm-hmm. it's never shown to be like romanticised you don't kind of feel like you're swept up in this like heroin infused dream with him but you always feel incredibly empathetic for the people that you're resonating with which is obviously something we'll touch on in film it's such a tricksy film isn't it so mm. clearly some elements are self you know autobiographical self-reflexive I don't think Pedro ever had a heroin I was going to say, if that's the case, what a way to confess. <laughs> um, what you were saying about its empathy is very interesting because it feels like it's really empathetic for everyone but Salvador. I'm yeah. doing air quotes. Because it, it paints him as a fairly... He kind of uses people that come into his orbit for the purpose of creating his art. And a lot of the film is encountering people that he's forgotten about or remembering people he's forgotten about or re-encountering people that he's cast aside or had, like failed romances with and it seems I guess if we're considering Salvador to be an analogue for Pedro Almodovar it seems very critical of himself in a strange way it's not as self-aggrandizing as you'd think considering that it's so clearly a version of him but also one who it's, it's it's honest, I guess. It's incredibly self-deprecating, which I think is a, another one of his, his strengths. You're completely right. Like, empathetic, but he also knows when to kind of show himself up for who yeah. he is. There's a particular scene with a Q&A following a screening, <laughs> which is um, <laughs> particularly pointed. And he's, he's not afraid to do as such. He really... 
I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say as he has no ego. He's got an incredibly handsome man playing him in this film. And but... also keeps insisting that he's an extremely talented filmmaker, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I guess it, him kind of walking through his life and everyone just being like, you ruined my life, you bastard. <laughs> kind of, it makes a nice balance. Well, this is it. And, you know, and I think my favourite part in the film is the parts that are told via flashback. We've uh-huh, got Penelope uh-huh. Cruz playing his mother in this film. Mm. And she says, oh, please don't use me in, my, in your films. Like, please, I, I don't want that. And yet here we are with this, again, gorgeous woman um, playing his, his very hardworking, very sincere, very sweet mother. And then growing up just the two of them in a cave mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which is a lot more romantic than it sounds like they are literally living in a cave but they it kind of reminded me of the set of Star Wars like oh, oh my god you're right like on Tatooine, Tatooine. yeah yeah, 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 like yeah they were incredibly basic reference for me to make but yeah it <laughs> no. kind of reminded me of um, Luke's house at the beginning just kind of very beautiful white curved walls and would they eventually kind of fix it up, don't they? But yeah, she kind of coerces, not coerces, actually, she kind of collaborates with her neighbours to make it into a home. Mm. And that was clearly very important to him. It's very much the same as, like, sort of the way that Varda treats herself in that she shows herself to be, you know, from the off, like, oh, I'm this quite plump and and uh, quite old now filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Here's my life. And then she's got the chair boxes, she's got the cats, she's got the beaches. I mean, with this, you've got the mother, you've got sexuality, you've got love, you've got all these things that we've kind of come to associate with Amada Vara over the yeah. years. It's, I think it's done with like a sort of honesty and frankness that we don't often get from maybe American filmmakers mm-hmm. who kind of it's the kind of film that you'd make towards the end of a very storied career I suppose but other filmmakers when they kind of self-insert themselves it's almost completely obscured but with this it's I've never seen a film where it's been so blatant just uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> right where it's right down to the kind of gelled tips of his hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it will play an interesting counterpoint to next week's major new release, which is The Souvenir, which is mm. Joanna Hogg. It's not self-inserting herself as she is now, but it's an autobiographical story of her coming of age as a filmmaker, struggling to find her own voice, whereas Pedro always had his own voice, yes. hasn't he? I mean, this kind of completes the trilogy of mm. semi-autobiographical films because it was Bad Education. I think Laws of Desire, mm-hmm. neither of which I've seen, but I know that Bad Education um, interacts with something that's mentioned in Pain and Glory with his mum keeps yelling at She's just like, I want you to join the choir. <laughs> um, so I think if my memory isn't failing me right now, Bad Education is about that particular segment of his life mm-hmm. or based off it, roughly. Right. It's nice how it kind of dovetails with his filmography and how mm-hmm. it kind of how it interacts with so many different eras of his work, like um, actors he's first worked with, with um, Banderas playing him. I feel like Penelope Cruz playing his mother when she first, I think she first worked with him in All About My yeah, Mother. Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. insignificant. And then I guess there's these interactions with like different films from his past. So I think the fictional one in the film, is it called Trust or something? It's got a great, very our <laughs> poster where, it, where it's like a pop art poster of someone eating a strawberry. Gorgeous. I can't remember what the film is. The fake, <laughs> I can't remember what the fake movie is called, but I think its timing would place it around the same time as Laws of Desire. Right. Yes. So it's yeah. it's 
kind of like the snake eating its tail, mm-hmm. but in a good way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love this phase that uh, this, uh, Pedro Almodovar has come to now in his career where he's so comfortable in his talents and his skills that he can experiment with every film. Mm. It feels like he has the funding that he requires to mount whatever project he wants. He can pull on some of these old faithfuls to come back and star in his films. His last few have been really great and really interesting from The Skin I Live In, Julieta, Volva onwards. They're fantastic. And in this one, the fact that you do have the two titans of Moldova's cinema, you have Penelope and and Antonio, but they don't don't actually share a scene, do they, in this? Because she's in flashback. I mean, I suppose they I kind of do if there was easy, a, there like... a certain camera trick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. So it's almost have... like Pedro Maldivar's heat. And I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. They needed their heat. Oh, to this is what happens. <laughs> yes, there's their heat. But what I find fascinating about his films as well is that they can be enjoyed as such surface pleasures in the cinematography, the production and art design and so on. Then you do have these... Uh, meta aspects about his career and himself as a filmmaker but then there's a whole aspect that is foreign to us literally so because he is still a very active and committed commentator on Spanish society and I'd I'd defer to Maria Delgado who is one of the leading English language voices on Spanish cinema and her review in Sight and Sound really picks apart what he's saying about Spain today Spain in the periods that he's flashing back to the 60s and the 80s as well and that's really fascinating and it works on all these levels it sounds like were quite positive on this film. Should we give it some scores? Uh, yeah. Beth, I'll come to you first. So, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Sure thing. So, I mean, I've, I've said it. I, I adore Amal Bar. I am an Amal Bay. And to be able to get to see his origin story in this way is something I was really excited about. It's not something I would be excited about for every filmmaker. So, um, yes, four for me there. Um, and then four again, because just to see it played by these trusted friends, they obviously carry this so carefully, but pull it off so effortlessly as well. I, I mean, it's just a smart move to have them in these two very important pivotal roles in his life and then for again just in hindsight it's a very handsome film it handles comedy and tragedy and again just very assured intuitive ways he's just in his stride now as you say I think he's at such a nice comfortable stage in his career that he can put out these comfortably wonderful movies Mm -hmm. and I adored it and if I get to see someone's in Oscar season all the better for it Mm -hmm. Cam? I think I would lead with a four for anticipation because while I'm not hugely versed with Pedro Almodovar's work, I've seen a handful at best. What would you call Almodovar's? Pedrones? No. (laughs) Ignore me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I was really looking forward to this one. You can always at least, at the very least, expect a film that's very lush in its presentation, a lot of care Mm -hmm. in the colour, and at least some kind, some form of soap operatics. Mm -hmm. I think what he's gotten a lot better at in his kind of later career is balancing those theatrics with sincere emotiveness mm-hmm. um, with his characters so um, yeah enjoyment I gotta say I didn't really I wasn't hugely taken with this I thought it was good I don't think it hit any the same emotional peaks that something like Juli- Julieta did mm-hmm. um, in any of his kind of latter day works but I thought it was really solid again this may be because the political context is lost on me mm-hmm. but it felt fairly slight I found the characters in Salvador's orbit a lot more interesting than I found Salvador himself. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly a surprisingly restrained, kind of buttoned up performance for Banderas for me. And I think I'd keep it at a three for in retrospect. I more or less stand by that point of view because I have sat with this for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but still nice to see that he's going through a sort of 
I'm not sure if I'd call it a like career renaissance or whatever, but just you know, just an uptick in energy in uh-huh. the films he's making. <laughs> Terrific! I'd give it fours across the board. It was one of the three best films I saw at Cannes this mm. year, and I can't wait to watch it again and try and figure out more that I might have missed. There's one scene I will mention, which I think is one of the best scenes of Pedro Almodovar's storied career, where the lead character meets an old boyfriend. And yes, we yeah. talk. We talked about this like it is almost a light and fluffy film, you know, metatextual and so on. But there's a, that scene is flooring in, in its emotional intensity. It's just fantastic. It's almost. I think I found that scene so good that it left the, me feeling cold for the rest <laughs> of the film because it's so heartbreak. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of like repressed oh, yeah. feelings and really good stuff. <laughs> all, all the things you want from a film. And Antonio Banderas, who is one of my favourite actors. I love the fact that he's gone through so many phases in his career and he's now come out the other end. And who knows, maybe this could be something that wins him some awards, something he's ne- never really been given by the establishment. I love that in interviews he talks about how he went to Hollywood in the 90s with starring in Desperado and the Zorro films and all this, and then he went back to Spain to work with Pedro thinking, I've learned all of these new tricks in front of the camera, and Pedro just didn't take any of them on board. <laughs> dressed him down completely. And now Antonio Banderas, he lives in Surrey. He's lived in the UK for the last five years. Yeah. He's in a whole new, like, soulful, poetic phase of his career. Oh, bless um, him. And let's hope he gets rewarded in some way. At any rate, this film is a fantastic triumph for him and Pedro as well. That was Pain and Glory. We're coming back to Pedro later for All About My Mother in Film Club. But next, we're throwing up the devil horns for Hail Satan. Chronicling the extraordinary rise of one of the most colourful and controversial religious movements in American history, Penny Lane's Hail Satan follows the media-savvy members of the Satanic Temple as they organise a series of public actions designed to advocate for religious freedom and challenge corrupt authority. Let's listen to a clip. I've just always been an extremely curious person. And I, I used to spend a lot of time at the bookstore alone because I was a huge loser. Because I don't like to be involved in groups. I'm not a very social person. Most of my interactions are online. It wasn't until I, I took that step to try to meet these people. That's where it really all came together. And I was terrified that I was just going to meet a bunch of people that were like, all right, so we're going to meet up at the church, we'll hand out spray paint cans, and we'll kick over some graves. And everyone was amazing. I came from a very, like, conservatively religious background. I was very much a devout Christian growing up. You could almost say a zealot. I've taught Bible school in our church. I've taught Sunday school in our church. And at the age of 13, I was called to be a deacon. A clip there from Hail Satan. You might have got a taste of that from the clip, but I was not expecting the film we, we got here. You think, film about... Modern-day Satanists, you think, could this be almost like Going Clear, a Scientology movie, or could this be Louis through weird weekends with some weird Satanists? Actually, not at all. Right, Cam? Yeah, I mean, it's a very loving film. And also, I think, very clear in its purpose that it wants to deconstruct the image of Satanism as mm-hmm. a sort of cult, this sort of thing that would inspire moral panic, even now, I guess, as the film points out. But this sort of moral panic that invaded the UK with like things like video nasties, mm-hmm. things like across the states as well, when people believed that Satanists were murdering babies. <laughs> but it's generally a very sympathetic and pretty light mm-hmm. um, film about some very personable, very funny people. Yeah. Um, it more or less paints them as sort of pranksters with a very righteous cause, mm-hmm. um, starting with... It's been a minute since I've 
seen it, if I recall correctly, it's, it's a movement that kicked off as a joke um, <laughs> when they hired an actor to uh, yell, Hail Satan, Hail Rick Scott, in yep. response to, I think it was an abortion law or something similar. Was it not uh, bringing religion into schools? Yes, no, religion mm-hmm. into schools. And then they basically started campaigning on the principle that this, by law, should include all religions, including our religion of Satanism. So mm-hmm. thank you, Rick Scott, for introducing Satanism <laughs> to the children. Hail Rick Scott. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. picked up attention and just kicks off from there. And the film details that rise with a lot of kind of wry humour, which yeah. I found really endearing. There are a bunch of incredibly smart and funny people, right? But also yes. outsiders who find each other. But the way they go about their cause is so fascinating because they're using the system the way that the United States of America has been hijacked by Christianity over the years. They're using that system to then bring Satanism in there, showing in the process the absurdity of how there is no separation of church and state in the States. Yeah, it's basically... The whole film is about their kind of continuing protest to prevent Christianity from becoming a state religion Mm -hmm. um, and actually, funnily enough, enforcing the Constitution. (laughs) 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 And it's come down to a group of Satanists. And I think that the film does really well to balance the humour of seeing Christian evangelicals like frothing at the mouth yeah. at the prospect of these people just the kind of sheer humour in seeing their antics and stunts but also the political motivations behind them and things like as we heard in the clip what drove these people to take on this aesthetic as opposed to any other mm-hmm. um, like conservative Christian backgrounds and eventually a, lo- a lot about the community that they find at their headquarters in Salem <laughs> <laughs> So it's just touches like that where it's um, like, right, we're finally establishing a political base. Uh, They bought the house in the place where the Salem witch trials happened and painted it entirely matte black. But there's a self-awareness to that as well. They have a a sense of humour about themselves. What they don't have a sense of humour about is the central tenets of what Satanism, modern-day Satanism is. And that's actually a very moving sequence where they go through what their equivalent of the Ten Commandments are. And it's all about freedom. It's all about respect. It's all about openness, not about shutting down. Right, Beth, what did you make of this film? It stunned me. It absolutely stunned me. And the best way, those are the best documentaries for me is when I go in expecting almost mockumentary, like Christopher Guest level, <laughs> what we do in the shadows. And that's certainly how the film starts off as, as, as sort of a gimmick. And and then it spins completely and, and takes off in a, in a different, not suddenly so, but this gradual trajectory just that goes off into this completely unseen realm where actually these people make so much sense this is such a perfectly timed piece of filmmaking because they make complete sense it never occurred to me and it absolutely should because it's such an overwhelming presence just how much Christianity is dominant in the US how it determines laws there's a great trans woman who is a member of the the religion who um says, you know, Christianity dictates which bathroom I can use. Mm-hmm. And you you really do, when, when you take a step back and look into it, just think, wow, what an overwhelming and ingrained and dominating presence this is. And, and all they're trying to do is present the option of choice. Mm-hmm. And that just absolutely floored me. And done in such a patient way, Penny Lane really does a great job of slowly kind of changing your mind and to the point where, I mean, one of the, the key... Um, figures in this is a guy called Lucian Graves but um, he goes from being this kind of man behind these dark glasses and and something of a I don't want to say gimmick but that's certainly how mm-hmm. he's framed in the beginning to becoming this very human and very patient and 
kind spokesman for this cause that you actually they make the most sense I've heard in a very long time mm-hmm. <laughs> from this kind of yeah Christian dominated state. The film does put forward this um, this notion that maybe America has gone so far into madness that the only sane way to deal with it is to become a Satanist. You almost wish that that ideology and symbolism behind it didn't exist because if you take that away, if you take away that initial quite offensive, to a lot of people anyway, quite offensive kind of the horns and the black and kinky babies, which is a very... <laughs> oh, God, oh, we, need to, we need to talk about that. Like, so tell us about the kinky babies, Cam. So basically there was the introduction of a new abortion law in Missouri, I think. And this satanic temple protested this by dressing up various members in a mixture of baby costumes and S&M fetish gear as a protest against the fetishization of the fetus. So basically just the kind of conservative worshipping of the fetus as an mm-hmm. idol and not, no consideration for the people that give birth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, bodily autonomy is a very important part of the satanic temple. It's a spectacle. <laughs> Probably one of the protests that inspires the most confusion and rage from yeah. the state that they're rolling through. Yeah, It has to be seen to be believed. I think that the power of that imagery to provoke is really important because Mm -hmm. a lot of what the Christian senators are trying to accomplish in that they're protesting against, they're things that seem somewhat innocuous and it's all done with that sort of civility that is so Mm -hmm. apparently valued. And then I think the provocation of the satanic imagery does a lot. It brings out like virulent hatred mm-hmm. from people there'll be like kind of supposedly good Christians screaming in these people's faces and threatening to kill them there's one point where um, I think someone brings a gun along to mm-hmm. one of their peaceful marches and I think that if they kind of well I was going to say defanged but maybe dehorned is um, <laughs> more appropriate but if I think that if they did that by removing the satanic imagery it wouldn't have they wouldn't be able to provoke the same anger and kind of show us what these people are really like, like generally very hateful and very angry and dangerous mm-hmm. in places. I think it, it they do really well. I think what they do really well and what Lane does want to capture is how this provocation operates on a political level as well. Yeah, and that's where this film may come quite close to something that maybe Sasha Baron Cohen would make, where it's the idea of creating this stunt persona that is purely there to show up the ignorance and hatred that is very close to the surface in other people. I think it's worth saying as well that this is, they've not always been this way. It also charts to the evolution of, uh, they're called the Satanic Temple at this stage, but there was a stage where, as we say, they, they hired um, an actor to come in and it was a lot more ramshackle. And I think it's from like the 60s or 70s when it was first mm-hmm. established and one of the the people at the interview uh, talking about how it used to be kind of awkward and messy and awesome was the, <laughs> was the quote and then it just takes on as, as things progress they come on and become this really organised very vigilant group of people who mm-hmm. have grown I think they've grown from something like three people to, to 50,000 or something they said as well so. chapters across the United States and they're the world not, in they're fact. not messing around yeah yeah the actions don't just include these provocations. It's mm-hmm. also cleaning up beaches yeah. and running after-school programs yeah. and giving socks to the homeless. Giving socks to the homeless, <laughs> and it's just all of these like genuinely very moving, very kind actions that are also complemented by them 
campaigning for a Baphomet statue on like Capitol Hill. Or <laughs> well, that, was, like... That's the central cause that is almost the back half of the film, isn't it? Where yeah. they discover that there are these Ten Commandments statues on various Capitol Hills across the southern states. Mm. Um, and they say that that is on state grounds. So if they're allowing religious monuments on state grounds, they should allow a seven foot tall Baphomet with the horns and everything. And in the process, Payne Lane and the interviewees reveal just how much of these core beliefs or these core givens that are part of Christianity in the United States were created in the 20th century. They reveal that the Ten Commandments monuments were actually funded as part of a promotional drive for the film oh, yes, yeah. The Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille. They're not there from the 17th century, 18th century onwards. And same with all of these uh, slogans, you know, uh, in God we trust, one nation under God and so on. That's still very much 20th century doctrine, not an inalienable part part of you know, the American identity, which is really fascinating. That's something yeah. to take away from this film, as well as maybe edgelords, uh, what we need right now. <laughs> a genuinely really interesting engagement with history, which is why I think my one, one main kind of quibble with the film is when it introduces another very interesting thread in the ousting of, she's called Blackmore? She's their Detroit chapter head. Yeah, the yeah. head of their D- Detroit chapter head, who is seen leading a procession of like naked chained men in like a sermon. Um, <laughs> and again, a very smart, funny person, mm-hmm. but then is ousted from the church for advocating for violence. Yep. And I thought it would be very interesting to maybe further prod this schism in the church and maybe investigate when it actually became its own religion with its own kind of tenets and laws and, I suppose, its own kind of fundamentalism mm-hmm. and maybe what kind of separate subgroups it might entertain. But it's kind of just dropped immediately and mm-hmm. it feels it doesn't feel investigative enough mm-hmm. in that terms like maybe I think it should just not sweat them or anything but just like maybe just put it under the lens a little bit more yeah. um, I think that was a quibble that bothered me a little bit more at the time where I actually reviewed this but kind of looking back on it I actually admire the film's kind of very obvious sympathy for the Satanists and part of me also feels that maybe taking that tangent would derail mm-hmm. the film's kind of central investigation yeah you can tell that Penny Lane is more fascinated that the force for good is coming out of what is just to be seen as yeah. force for bad. Exactly. I like her involvement in this as well, where you can hear her cackling behind the camera and you can ask, <laughs> hear her asking questions in disbelief. I know it doesn't make for like unbiased filmmaking, but I really thought that brought something extra to people coming into this experience. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like she was, which yeah. I thought was great. So uh, what scores would you give this? Uh, Cam, what did you give it in your review? Originally, I gave it a three for three um, maybe marking it down because I wondered at the time if it was maybe too slight and maybe giving a little too much leeway well not leeway but I mean, I guess I was a little bit frustrated that this new avenue was introduced and like never brought up again I feel like I'd give it the same score but just consider that last three a bit higher mm-hmm. because I really appreciate it's um, I suppose like it was a little bit foolish of me to kind of want desire objective filmmaking because I realised that that's what my point kind of ultimately boils down to and ultimately I really enjoy this film's kind of intense sympathy for its subjects and the way in which it shows that hey Satanism isn't all that bad and actually like paying attention to the doctrines of these people that they're putting forward in their politics kind of invites us to look at why we consider Christianity to be some kind of default good or like banner of righteousness just because it's people are all dressed up in white mm-hmm. like we're very concerned with the image whereas we're not actually looking at what the actions that the groups associated with that take mm-hmm. closely enough and 
this is genuinely a very valuable film, mm-hmm. as, as funny and as light as it is in places. I think it intertwines that with some very well thought out politics, like throughout. So I wouldn't change my score, I don't think, but I think I would consider those higher numbers if <laughs> okay. that makes sense. Beth, what'd you give it? I would give it three, four, four. I went into this thinking it might be quite a provocative piece of filmmaking, a little bit gimmicky, and then I have my own prejudices around the image association with everything, which I'm sure a lot of people did. And then, as I say, four, stunned, loved it, absolutely span on its axis and went off somewhere where I completely wasn't expecting, which all best documentaries should. Mm-hmm. And then four, that's um, such a well-timed documentary. I think people will receive this really well. I think it's just nice to be seen. They can be shown another there's another option that there's another way and there's hope almost there's another way there is another way <laughs> there is another definitely agree this has definitely got the potential to be very well liked like given the chance it's such a entertaining I wonder what it's going to do for, for them I wonder if they're going to swell in numbers now as a result I mean I might sound, I'm joking um, a sea change in the political <laughs> fabric of the, of the world I yeah. think Penny Lane joined the Satanic Temple after the completion of the film I think she's officially a member now. I think I remember reading that somewhere. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Okay, that's interesting. I'd give Hell this, yeah. I'd give this uh, 343 as well. Uh, I think this is a very entertaining film, and it sounds like a recommendation from the table. So Hail Satan and Pain and Glory are both in cinemas this week. Up next, we have Film Club, where we're going back to Amaldivar for All About My Mother. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yes, this week on Twitter, we asked you to vote for Pedro, and you picked All About My Mother for Film Club. Released in 1999, this international breakthrough from Moldovar won the Best Foreign Language Oscar, as well as the BAFTAs for Foreign Language Feature and Director. All That My Mother is a meta-melodrama starring Cecilia Roth as a woman travelling to Barcelona to search for her son's second mother, a trans woman called Lola. Again, no clip for this is in Spanish, but Beth, was this a first viewing for you, a revisit uh, of All About My Mother? It was a first viewing for me, actually. Mm -hmm. This one sort of slipped under the way. So first time viewing and um, absolutely loved it. We do have some comments actually from Twitter as well. We asked where people would rank this, which is, you know, All About My Mother is generally regarded as one of Pedro's best films. Mm. So we have Jake on UK saying, definitely my top three. Mark Cassidy says, right at the top, all human life is there. Yes. That's nice way of putting it, Mark. 
Edwin Davies says easily in the top three alongside Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown and Bad Education, possibly number one, depending on which I've watched most recently. Cam, you said you'd watched a handful of Pedro films. Where would this one come for you? <laughs> when I say handful, I mean I think I've seen four or five, so it would... It's yeah. in my top five. <laughs> um, pretty high. I think some uncertainty about its portrayal of some of the characters has pushed it down a little bit, but generally quite high. I think it's it does so well to mix the kind of melodramatics with a very sincere mm-hmm. emotion behind it, like especially in the in Cecilia Roth's performance, which is just so, just kind of brings the whole thing down to earth. She's just so wonderful, so grounded in her performance, and it just kind of contrasts to all of these larger than life characters around her. And it just, and I think, despite the theatrics, it's so moving. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just feel like, um, for example, the opening scene when she's doing the demonstration of how to get people to donate organs it's filtered through like a television and it feels like sort of it kind of reminds of those kind of soap opera sensibilities informs a lot of his work but at the same time genuine emotions driving it i Mm -hmm. think it's probably one of the best balances of that that i've seen it feels like a a spanish companion piece to far from heaven by todd haynes uh, where this film is chewing up lots of 1950s 1960s melodrama influences of course the ending title card, this big thank you dedicates the movie to Betty Davis, Gina Rowlands, Romy Schneider, all these you know, big actresses of that period. Well it's an homage to like women in the pictures, yes. that's what that's what he does here and it shows through the characters, so we've got Cecilia Roth as Manuela, we've got Marissa Paredes, I'm, I'm sorry for my pronunciation, uh, and um, all these people that you, he shows reacting to, so it, it pivots a lot on uh, A Streetcar Named Desire, mm-hmm. which is the stage play that some of the characters are involved in, and uh, Manuela is an assistant on at one stage, and it shows all these, these big characters, male, female, trans, queer, reacting to this play in a very deep and personal way, and the same with the movies and women acting, and it just shows the importance of and the significance that these women can have through telenovelas and plays and films and movies. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the dedication is at the end. And for 1999, I think that was really progressive. A, a key scene for me, which I really delighted in watching, was just watching these um, four characters drinking kava together. So there was uh, we have Penelope Cruz, who's um, a pregnant nun, and uh, <laughs> Manuela, is, uh, who's kind of the glue that's holding them all together. We've got this stage actress, and then we've got this sex worker who's mm-hmm. trans, and they're all sort of together giggling and, and drinking kava, and you just get to kind of sit and be in their company for a little while and it's so effortless and and feels so easy and natural but it you know at that time it was significant I think this is where I kind of have mixed feelings in I simultaneously love Agrado but I'm not about the casting of a cis woman as Mm. a trans character which happens twice over in this film but with a cis man playing Lola and Antonia and San Juan as Agrado but at the same time their portrayals are very sensitive in a way that a lot of other films would not be. But then I'm also wrestling with that like constantly and some things kind of border on a bit too lurid for my tastes. Like the first time you see Agrado is them being assaulted. So it's yeah, just like that was a lot of a, a lot of complicated <laughs> feelings about that that kind of pushed the film down on a rewatch for me. In a modern framing, I think you're completely right. I think yeah. for the time when attitudes were a lot more relaxed and I'm not sure. saying that's a good thing yeah. by any any stretch, but at the time that felt particularly poignant by the framing of the late 90s absolutely today looking back obviously there's there's huge problems with representation in there and I, I wouldn't agree with some mm-hmm. of the attitudes for the time I think it was 
bold. Yeah, far be it from my role to police on who is doing trans <laughs> like roles the best. Twenty but, years ago, uh, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> it's complicated because I think the performances are so sensitive mm-hmm. and the film is very sensitive towards them. And, and Pedro just, across his whole career has shown great sensitivity towards the broader LGBT this plus is the thing, community, yeah. the queer community. It was just a large. It was an interesting watch, like mm-hmm. going back to it. It's beautifully filmed as well. It kind yeah. of it shots between things like a really interesting shot was Esteban, who's Manuela's um, son, is writing in his notebook, and Amadeva has him drawing over the camera. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Pencil, sort of the pencil shot. dancing across the camera, and it's quite obviously the pencil dancing across the camera, but that kind of through association is is really poetic and you get these beautiful sweeping shots as well and I'm going to come back to that production design because it is glorious it is absolutely glorious and totally unnecessary he doesn't need to make these beautiful handsome wallpaper rooms and these gorgeous you know the furniture is stunning and you know the framing is so plush again but he makes sure and he takes the care to make sure that this drama is playing out in the most beautiful setting he can achieve if anyone in this room gets the chance to interview him please ask where he gets his lampshades from (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was Ikea how dare you how dare you yeah the production design is gorgeous on this one the camera will move across a set and there'll just be like the strongest blues and reds and greens and oranges all just kind of in one scene together and somehow just coalescing yeah, in a way that it should not it seems, aggressive at all and it yeah, should be it should be it should be a nightmare but it just works yeah it's harmonious also I'd, I'd like to talk about the dialogue a little bit some uh-huh. of the dialogue and the lines one of my favourite lines is Manuela just I'm not sure if this will make it into the cut but calling all women assholes. she's like we're we're and just to hear that is so against the grain of everything I believe way. in. But <laughs> but just the fact that she can so earnestly be like, we can be terrible mm-hmm. sometimes. But in this film that feels incredibly empowering at the same time, I thought that was glorious. What do you think about Penelope Cruz? Because this this film comes out between before she makes her Holly jump to Hollywood with Vanilla Sky and so mm. on. So she's a star rising here. A pivotal role, but quite a small role in this film. Does she make an impact for you? She does. There's, um, in particular, so her story is is really quite tragic, but Mm -hmm. there's this scene in particular where she's in a car and her father is, um, he has memory issues, and she sees him from across the park and calls her childhood dog over and just has a, a real moment where she's hugging this beautiful dog and it's just such a heartbreaking and, and gorgeous scene and, and she sort of melts into this memory of, of who she used to be. I agree, a small part, absolutely. She doesn't speak so much, but her emotional gravitas in this is so impressive. You can completely see why she's gone on to have the trajectory and the success that she has just on this, this small breakout role. I thought she was so wonderful. also think it was very interesting that all about my mother it actually starts from a point from one of his earlier films The Flower of My Secret because mm-hmm. in that film they're training students in a subplot uh, how to convince families to give them organs and then the Almodovar film that got Penelope Cruz the Oscar nomination Volver is also based on Flower of My Secret I just thought it was kind of an interesting connection it doesn't really mean anything <laughs> you talk about awards here and this is the one that really I mean he'd, he'd been very respected beforehand he'd been making films for almost 20 years at this point but it's the one that got him on onto the awards lists yeah. mm. and I love the fact that 
this is probably back when BAFTA would break a little bit from the Oscars and award people differently. The fact that he won Best Director in 1999, one of those commonly held up banner years for cinema, he beat Sam Mendes for American Beauty, he beat Anthony Minghella for Talented Mr. Ripley, and he beat M. Night Shyamalan wow. for The Sixth Sense. Shyamalan, like, award nominated, who knew? I mean, if we're being reductive, it is pretty awards foddery, to be honest, in mm-hmm. terms of some of the subject matter and some of the representation at the time. But fair play to him. I mean, I wish more Oscar bait looked like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe Pain and Glory will be back on the Oscar trail and we'll have Pedro at the Oscars come next year. Anyway, that was All About My Mother, capping off this week's Truth and Movies. Campbell A. Beth, thank you so much for joining me. Next week, we're talking about... It's a British cinema special almost. We have The Souvenir, Joanna Hogg. We have Bait. And because Bait is set in Cornwall, I hear, we're doing Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs for Truth and Movies. That's going to be one hell of a whiplash stylistic turn between the new releases and the re-releases. Dustin Hoffman going out into the sticks and not liking what he finds out there. Let us know what you think of Straw Dogs, etc. The usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email or at the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcasts. Thanks again for joining me, guys. Thanks, Michael. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.